to Gray Matters, doing a solo program this evening out of the FM studio. Jim Dwyer here. Dick Whaley will rejoin the program next week after the holiday festive season comes to a close. It's uh, very gusty in town right now. I My way down here, a uh, big row of houses on Packard Street appear to be without uh, power and the uh, traffic light at the uh, corner of uh, Maynard and uh, Packard is out again so that's likely to be happening uh, intermittently around town so do take some extra care if you're out and about in the vehicle. Thanks to uh, Barnaby, Lillian, Victor and Nora for holding the fort down for the last half hour and we'll see them all again soon here at WCBN a home if you will for many creative minds here in the community. Well, I do plan on spending some time this evening talking about a couple of films, as is often the case at the end of the year. I like to uh, mention a couple of films that uh, are of special interest and uh, note. We are very lucky to live here in the Ann Arbor area with uh, Michigan Theater, and, of course, the Ann Arbor Film Festival will be rolling uh, its way back into town, uh, into the Michigan Theater there in another couple of months. So there's all sorts of uh, cinematic opportunities here that we have that uh, folks in the uh, rest of the state or even the rest of the country don't have access to. Or uh, if they do have access to them, it's very fleeting. And so a couple of films that did play here for a little while... Uh, might have uh, disappeared too quickly for uh, most people to have a chance, so I'll speak a little bit about Werner Herzog's Encounters at the End of the World and the uh, very interesting film Man on Wire. Both of these films are documentaries. Um, I'll also give a quick uh, comment on the film Wall-E, which is also uh, very worthy of uh, your time. I think, uh, but that'll be a little bit later in the program. I'll begin with some news-type items here as I arrange my documents in the rather different uh, working area of the FM studio. <clears throat> of course, the big story at the moment is the Israeli airstrikes on Gaza. Uh, this is particularly nasty, and when you consider... A number of the factors here, uh, complicating factors, that are really at uh, the basis or at the background of this attack, uh, it becomes even, I think, a little bit more appalling. Of course, uh, the anniversary of Benazir Bhutto's slaying in a terror bombing also passed last week. And... 
Well, here, first, let's talk about some economic news and uh, socioeconomic realities. <clears throat> According to the New York Times and police departments across the country, shoplifting arrests are up 10 to 20 percent higher this year than last. Of course, December is always the biggest shoplifting season, but according to this article from the New York Times, uh, reprinted in the uh, December 23rd edition of the Ann Arbor News, <clears throat> the ease with which stolen goods can be sold on the Internet has meant a bigger role for organized crime rings, which also engage in receipt fraud, fake price tagging, and gift card schemes police and security experts say. I'm not really sure what a gift card scheme is. I think, generally speaking, gift cards are a scheme uh, unto themselves because oftentimes you don't spend the full amount on it. And you put it in your purse or your wallet and forget about it or lose it. Um, and so the entire gift card scheme is already uh, challenged, if you will. But this, I found, was uh, almost in unbelievable. Uh, I won't use the word incredible because that's lost all meaning. But uh, the final paragraph of this article, Sign of the Times, shoplifting arrests up, I find uh, difficult to believe. And maybe you don't. I don't know. But here's what it says. More than $35 million in merchandise is stolen each day nationwide. And about one in 11 people in America have shoplifted, according to the nonprofit National Association for Shoplifting Prevention. Well, I believe that one in 11 people in America have shoplifted. Um, you know, I know people who in the past, when they were teenagers or children, uh, shoplifted. Uh, you usually get caught, so it's not a great idea there, boys and girls. Um, but I find it very hard to believe that every day $35 million in merchandise is stolen nationwide. Um Maybe every couple of days, maybe every week, and as we've talked about on Gray Matters numerous times, uh, this number pales in comparison to the amount of American taxpayer dollars that disappear into the abyss that is uh, Pentagon budget defense spending, uh, much of which is uh, off the record, off the books, and largely unaccounted for. And so while this is, if true, a troubling number, um, it can and is, can be and is worse. Uh, and by the way, I need to do a little further research to find out who indeed are the National Association for Shoplifting Prevention. I suspect that somewhere down the line they are an entity set up as a nonprofit by the very much for-profit Chamber of Commerce, National Association of Manufacturers these sorts of organizations. Well, won't comment on the uh, failure of Chip Saltzman uh, seeking leadership of the Republican National uh, Chairmanship who sent out uh, a comedy CD by so-called conservative comedian Paul Shanklin that apparently has a song uh, called Barack the Magic Negro. Uh, to the tune of Puff the Magic Dragon. This is a song that originated from the Rush Limbaugh program, apparently. And um, this guy wants to be head of the Republican National uh, Committee. And uh, I guess he's trying to prove that 
conservatives do have a sense of humor. Uh, most people would beg to differ, though, because the primary objective of humor is to make people laugh. And I don't know, I suppose somewhere out there this song would make somebody laugh. But generally speaking, if it's uh, funny by Rush Limbaugh's standards, it's the sort of, um, I don't know, bent back fingernail, zipped up scrotum kind of funny. Um, you know, not really funny, just sort of angry funny. Anywho, we'll just move on from that. Um, here's a headline that is just uh, reminiscent of nothing so much as C. Montgomery Burns. Uh, of course, he's truly evil, and I think that the scientists and uh, medical experts uh, behind the information contained in this article are not evil. I think there's probably much good that be, can be contained from this. Uh, article appeared in the Christmas Eve edition of the Ann Arbor News. And in this article, which is Dateline Grand Rapids, uh, researchers at the Van Andel Institute in Michigan State University say blood samples collected from every baby born in Michigan since 1987 could contain a wealth of information about genetically linked diseases, including juvenile diabetes, cerebral palsy, autism, asthma, and some cancers. State law requires each newborn to receive a poke in the heel to allow a few drops of the blood to be squeezed out and tested for certain diseases. This is, of course, true. When uh, my own daughters were born, I was horrified but scientifically relieved by the medical staff that uh, they needed to poke my daughter in the heel and make her cry and get a little blood for medical tests and so forth. Uh, while that was startling, it, it does make good sense. There is a lot of potential for this information to be used. There are approximately 3 million of these cards on file here in the state of Michigan. And things such as juvenile diabetes, for example, which we've seen a huge uh, growth in, this would be useful uh, to do some research here. But the it's the headline of the article that really made me gasp in disbelief and think of C. Montgomery Burns because the headline is Potential Seen in Baby Blood. That's all I needed, Smithers, was the blood of a young child. Um, yeah, potential seen in baby blood. Um, who knows, maybe if the answers to America's problems in Iraq could be solved with a few magical drops of baby blood, how many people would be willing to make that sacrifice? Well, I've uh, more recently said, and I think more realistically, that if we wanted to consider the budget crisis, uh, the economic crisis that this country faces in real context, um, let's consider the vast amount of uh, taxpayer dollars being poured into uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and think about, okay, well, where are possible savings that can be accrued? Of course, education's taken its hit. Everything's taken its hit. How about high school football? Let's take all the money that's spent coast-to-coast -coast on everything related to high school football and earmark that for the war in Iraq and see how long the few dwindling dwindling strands of support for the Iraq war will continue if we had to give up uh, high school football or even college football. Even more money involved there. Those are the big stakes. <clears throat> so if we can see potential in baby blood, maybe there's also potential in football funding. 
Well, that's just, of course, my opinion and uh, none other. Well, a few brief uh, comments about uh, what's going on in Gaza. Um, rather disturbing, uh, of course, um, to see such uh, high numbers of deaths. 300 killed. These are uh, Palestinians, refugees uh, from 48, many of them in Gaza and their descendants. Um, Gaza's the probably one of the most terrible places to live in the world. It certainly ranks uh, alongside Haiti as overcrowded, uh, devastated infrastructure, uh, people living in tents for decades. Um, it's essentially uh, a ghetto. And in fact, I've often made the comparison, as have some writers, by the way, in the Israeli press, <clears throat> between the Gaza Strip and the Warsaw Ghetto of uh, 1940s uh, Nazi-occupied Poland. Um, at root of this uh, most recent conflagration is, of course, the missiles that uh, various Hamas-affiliated uh, freelancers are shooting into Israel. Um, it's worth noting that, according to the Financial Times here of uh, this morning, that in total, 17 Israeli civilians have been killed by rocket fire from the Gaza Strip over the past seven years. In contrast, more than 600 Palestinians have died in Israeli attacks on the territory in 2008 alone, including many civilians. <clears throat> well, this is uh, completely disproportionate. And when you also factor in uh, the fact that Hamas, once their name is applied, it's sort of, well, okay, well, they're terrorists, right? They get what they deserve. Um, I've pointed out on numerous occasions on the program in the past that Hamas, in its inception, it's, at its very beginning, received, strange as it may seem, funding from the Israeli government because they were interested in putting a wedge between uh, Fatah and the Palestine Liberation Organization and uh, credibility there on the world stage. So Israel thought that the you know enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so this is, of course, a mistaken uh, maneuver uh, can be seen many times in American foreign policy and, of course, British foreign policy. There's a bad model to follow. <clears throat> but... Um, According to uh, the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, uh, Major General Yoav Gallant of the Israeli Southern Command was quoted as saying that the attack must send Gaza decades into the past and must cause, quote, maximum number of enemy casualties, close quote. Well, Major General Gallant would probably say that by enemy he means, of course, Hamas militants, but when you're talking about a place like the Gaza Strip that's so densely populated, and when you factor into the equation the fact that these bombs began uh, at 11.20 a.m., right in the middle of the school day when children are going back and forth uh, from lunch, uh, that the, the enemy casualties are basically Gazans in general. Um, half the population of the Gaza Strip, by the way, are children are about half of the population. There are 750,000 children in the Gaza Strip. Half of these kids suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. 
Now, in this recent flurry of uh, missiles that uh, have been sent from uh, Gaza Strip into uh, small towns and villages in Israel, there have been a number of associated uh, Palestinian casualties as well. So there's a civilian wounded, two others wounded, two militants killed when explosives went off on them as they were preparing them. Um, the Israeli military said that nine mortars and more than a dozen rockets were fired at southern Israel. Um, early, uh, well, this was printed on uh, December 24th, so that would have been the 23rd likely. Um, so nine mortars and more than a dozen rockets. No injuries were reported. So why the uh, intensity of this attack? Well, as it happens, there are elections upcoming. And Ehud Barak, the defense minister and leader of the center-left Labor Party, is uh, under a great deal of pressure. Uh, his party is trailing badly in the polls, and of course, Tsipi Livni, the uh, pretty much de facto leader of the Kadima party, which was Ariel Sharon's offshoot from Likud. Um, both uh, Livni and Barak trail Likud's Benjamin Netanyahu in the polls, and of course, uh, it's been Livni and Barak who've appeared at all the press conferences of this recent uh, conflagration. Um, both of them trailing, and of course they don't want to be seen as weak uh, or dithering with regards to uh, relations with uh, the Palestinians. Now, of, of course, you know nobody's going to say that these missiles being shot are a good thing. Certainly nothing can be gained from them. That's easy to see from the ones that blow up in their faces and, you know, kill innocent bystanders on the sending end. You know, pretty stupid. However... If you think back to uh, what attitudes and comments in the world press might have been in 1943, say, when uh, a group of Jewish radicals entrapped in the Warsaw Ghetto start to defend themselves and make incursions outside of the ghetto to attack German military operatives, would the same language be applied that is now applied today to Hamas that, oh, well, they should just, uh, they should not do that. They should just sit tight and be happy that they've been left alone in this terrible situation in a ghetto. Uh, no, typically we salute the courage and the heroism of those inside the Warsaw ghetto uh, who fought against injustice, occupation, and terror. And one wonders what the long-term gains outside of perhaps uh, making uh, labor and uh, Kadima appear more Likud-like in their uh, disposition here. It's um, also a likelihood that the violence is going to play into the hands of uh, regional forces which support constant attacks on Israel. There, there were, of course, uh, some attempts at a uh, peace treaty, particularly under the Clinton years. Bush entirely walked away from that. And if you look at a map of the world, you'll see that, okay, the, the range of territory that's been destabilized by U.S. foreign policy in the last 30, 40 years, um, but let's focus on the last eight, has spread further east. Now we've got increased tensions between Pakistan and India. Pakistan just this weekend has announced that they're relocating 20,000 troops from the Afghani border 
to the Indian border. And, of course, hawks in India are responding to this with uh, similar retorts. And so we're seeing an escalation there. We're seeing new violence and terror bombing campaigns of civilian areas on the western end of the region in uh, Gaza Strip. So doing a good job there, Bushy. And uh, one hopes that uh, despite some of the language in the uh, campaign that uh, Barack Obama will be able to put a little pressure on Israel here to uh, back off uh, the disproportionality of the uh, attacks are not surprising but disturbing. Uh, we'll see what uh, events uh, come in the next few days here as the U.N. is backing uh, calls for uh, a truce renewal. We'll see. We will see. Well, I did want to mention uh, here we sit at the year's end, essentially. This will be the last Gray Matters program of calendar year 2008. And while it hasn't been quite as uh, intense a year for films as 2007 was, there's been a number of good films this year, and particularly, I'll uh, mention WALL-E while I uh, get set up here to play a little excerpt from uh, Encounters at the End of the World, which I've brought along the DVD of. It's, I'm afraid you've had your chance to see it on the big screen, uh, but if it should ever play again at a uh, large screen, by all means, don't hesitate to go see a Herzog film on the big screen. Uh, we'll see if he gets stiffed again at uh, Academy Award nomination time. Uh, Grizzly Man was, although far from his best work, uh, a very good sort of broad appeal film that would likely have uh, brought a lot of people to uh, Herzog's back catalog had it been recognized in uh, any major or significant way. Um, unfortunately, that was not the case. So uh, we have to make do with the best we have, and that is oftentimes a DVD reissue of the film. <clears throat> so uh, take advantage of the opportunity to see it now that it is out. It's a documentary, but it's also breathtakingly beautiful. And in just a moment, we'll hear a few uh, clips from the beginning of the film. images taken under the ice of the Ross Sea in Antarctica were the reason I wanted to go to this continent. The pictures were taken by a friend of mine, one of these expert divers. 
some fantastic images of underwater shot through the ice. Uh, it looks like a cathedral beneath the sea. connection is on military planes out of New Zealand, loaded with chained down parts of polar stations. Most of the passengers had tucked into their laptops and their books, and many of them were sleeping. Who were the people I was going to meet in Antarctica? at the end of the world. What were their dreams? We flew into the unknown, a seemingly endless void. I was surprised that I was even on this plane. The National Science Foundation had invited me to Antarctica, even though I left no doubt that I would not come up with another film about penguins. My questions about nature, I let them know, were different. I told them I kept wondering why is it that human beings put on masks or feathers to conceal their identity? And why do they saddle horses and feel the urge to chase the bad guy? And why is it that certain species of ants keep flocks of plant lice as slaves to milk them for droplets of sugar? I ask them, why is it that a sophisticated animal like a chimp does not utilize inferior creatures? He could straddle a goat and ride off into the sunset. Despite my odd questions, I found myself landing on the ice runway at McMurdo. And from there, Herzog meets a uh, number of scientists working on very interesting projects, the uh, interesting personalities of the people who find themselves driven to be there. And again, just the amazing natural beauty of Antarctica itself are really the subject of the film. Uh, I don't think Herzog's ever made a bad film, and uh, certainly his documentaries uh, are incredible in that he's filming quite often simply nature itself, but making it appear uh, new and strange and unfamiliar. Uh, he's just got an amazing cinematic eye and a great sense of humor uh, as well. You never really get to answer many of those questions that he has about mankind, but... But that's okay. It's the asking that's important. Encounters at the End of the World, not likely to be nominated for anything by the Motion Picture Academy, but uh, definitely worth seeing. Um, while this next one queues up, I'm going to mention quickly that if you 
neglected to see Wall-E because it was a children's film or even tangentially related to Disney, I would urge you to uh, check this film out. Uh, it's a fascinating film, and generally speaking, I've been impressed with the Pixar films, but uh, this one, I think, really has a lot of important things to say about current trends in American popular entertainment. Without giving too much of uh, the film away, uh, I'll simply mention that there are a number of very important 2001 Space Odyssey uh, visual motif references uh, that at first, when I was watching the film, I thought, oh, well, it's simply an homage to a great sci-fi film from a legendary director, Stanley Kubrick. But as the, uh, the denouement, the climax, and the uh, thematic substance of the film became more clear to me, I realized that, indeed, the film is very much about the same thing as Kubrick's 2001 evolution of the human mind. And in this case, it's just trying to catch up to where we are now at the beginning of the comfort, the technological age, and so forth. So um, it's a fascinating film that gets by with very little spoken dialogue. And in fact, I think for the first 20 minutes of the film, there really is nothing being said. Uh, yet the lyrics of the music that are used throughout are really re uh, revelatory and uh, revelatory, excuse me. And so uh, I think this is a, a film that you're likely to see nominated for a number of things and is very much worth seeing. Well, the last film that I want to talk about is queuing up now, and this will take me a little bit over the 7 o'clock hour. You are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. The program is Gray Matters, and typically we talk about current events, and uh, media happenings. But uh, end of the year edition, Jim Dwyer here talking about a few important films. This next film, Man on Wire, uh, will again hopefully be uh, recognized by the Academy for uh, some sort of uh, award, even a nomination would be good. It's a documentary about Philippe Petit, who on August 7th, 1974, uh, stepped out onto a high wire that he and his friends had illegally rigged between the two towers of New York City's World Trade Center. And it's an amazing film because it's really set up, although it's a documentary, as a suspense thriller. And so the entire, uh, you, you know what's going to happen, but as the film plays out, you... Uh, have this sort of buildup of uh, suspense and tension here that uh, make for quite an interesting film. My daughters and I happened to see this as it played at the Michigan Theater uh, for about a th four or five day run. We happened to see it on its last day, which was, as uh, fate would have it, on uh, November, uh, September 11th. And that, of course, is greatly significant because the film is largely about the Trade Center buildings themselves, uh, not just this amazing uh, exploit that the uh, notes on the DVD case call the artistic crime of the century. Um, there's uh, sort of a strange feeling watching this, and they're actually going to be showing this again at the Michigan Theater tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m. I know that's kind of an awkward time, but if uh, in any way you can get that time free to go spend a couple of hours in the dark 